0: Inform, advocate, and involve seniors in discussing important social issues. In short, these podcasts will help us. You, in creating an age-friendly city for Vancouver today. Tomorrow the world. You can hear us everywhere podcasts are heard. Hello and welcome to Powered by Age. Powered by Age is sponsored by the 411 Senior Center uh, in Vancouver. I'm Charlotte Farrell, your host, and today we're continuing to celebrate uh, International Women's Month with the theme, Choose to Challenge. And so each of you have challenge life in different ways. And one of the goals of the Powered by Age program was to challenge the profile that people had of seniors. Sort of from that icon that people always use as handicapped, tired, in a hospital or a restroom. We are energetic, vibrant, speak outspoken. So you will see that as we share what we have today. Uh, Today, we are going to have three people that are sharing stories. Joel is with us. He has some news to tell us about with uh, a CD. So we'll just start out with uh, having you introduce yourself and we'll start with our uh, first new guest. Me? Yes. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, my name is Aideen, Aideen Dufour. Uh, I am actually Irish. Uh-huh. well, this will be good <laughs> in Ireland, uh, where I grew up. And so I'm interested in your St. Patrick's Day thing. Um, I left Ireland when I was about 28 and worked in various countries uh, in Africa, included two countries in Africa. Uh, I came to Canada uh, about 42 years ago. I met my husband in Montreal and lived in Quebec for 40 some, 42 years. And three years ago we moved to Vancouver because our son is here and he was pressing pressing us hard to come to Vancouver. Uh, So we're in the same building as he is with his partner and we love it. I don't know what else you would like to know. I love to dance. I used to dance a lot. did a lot of ballet, and then my husband and I danced a lot. Obviously not these days, but uh, that is something I love. I have written a little bit of poetry, and I love to read.
0: So that's me. So welcome. We'll be looking to having you participate in all those ways as we go along. You're scaring me, but anyway. (laughs) Uh, Leslie?
2: Yes, I'm Leslie Hebert. I live in New Westminster. I teach English as a second language online, and I am sort of a hobby writer. I haven't had a lot published, but I write short stories and poems and travel. And I'm currently working on a travel memoir of a trip I took to Japan a few years ago.
0: And Leslie is one of those who has some of her work on our Powered by Age website. Uh, you can go to Powered by Age, and you can look in the spin section, and you'll see some of the stories, poems, interviews, and nice novel things that people have. Uh, Nancy? Oh,
3: I'm Nancy Sinclair, and I live on uh, Vancouver Island, beautiful British Columbia, and I have tremendous passions for photography, writing, reading, and perpetual student of spiritual development spiritual work and personal development. I love the outdoors and traveling and, and a big passion for puppies for dogs and I have a, a pet sitting business actually related to that. So that's me. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Leslie's Nancy is one of the people that's going to be sharing
4: a story with us today in our Choose to
0: Challenge. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, Joel. I'm Joel. Uh, briefly be here. I'm just gonna. Uh, I've got to to work on some stuff for next week. But uh, yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, and uh, as I was working away on some stuff, I uh, I got found the CD that my sister and her husband had produced for my dad a couple years before he passed, where he got all his uh, his favorite songs. Not all of them. He had many, but made an album of favorite songs and recorded it. And uh, there's some Irish. Diddy's on here that suits St. Patrick's Day, which is a big day in our family. And I figured uh, as I was working away, I should put this up on SoundCloud for people to enjoy. And so it's up on SoundCloud now. And um, yeah, he's a bit of an entertainer locally, uh, fisherman and teacher. There he is there. And I kind of take a little bit to him in terms of the singing side of things. So I figured this would be a good little introduction to... Uh, My dad and Luke's granddad, uh, who's a bit of a character around town, and uh, yeah, that guy that would get up in a bar and and sing Danny Boy and and keep the room quiet while he was up there delivering his oratory style. So I hope you enjoy it. I will put the link in the chat and uh, the way you can go with it. So (laughs) happy St. Patrick's Day, a little bit delayed.
0: Maybe you can say the link for people who might be listening and won't see our chat.
4: Um, yeah, so it's soundcloud.com and search Doug Flynn's Desolation Sounds, volume one. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's some good uh, good items on there. And you can get a bit of the backstory of uh, how it came to pass, I think, in the description. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone finds this CD every once in a while and pulls it out. And oh, I was listening to your dad's CD, and, and it's it's a funny little thing. But it's a, it was a good thing for us to do. And- you know what? You know what
0: this means. Uh, we have people within our group who've been uh, doing interviewing, and some are doing practicing interviewing other people. So uh, Leslie or Chris or someone of our group might interview you about your dad. So that backstory can be a part of our spins collection.
4: Sounds good, and you can get Luke in it, get him talking away on. (laughs) That'll be great,
0: Uh, Chris.
5: (laughs) So I'm uh, Chris Morrissey, Irish name, uh, comes from somewhere back in my family. Even though I was born in England. you can Those who are on the Zoom can see I'm wearing a T-shirt that has a shamrock and a rainbow flag. My partner was born in Donegal, and uh, so in her honor, um, she died about five years ago. In her honor, I always have to have uh, shamrock, for sure. Um, I live in East Van. <clears throat> I belong to Quirky, the Queer Imaging and Writing Collective for Elders, that we uh, have out of Britannia Community Center, out of the Senior Center at Britannia. And I do some writing. I have, uh, I'm working on pieces of writing that if I ever get them put together will become something of a memoir. Right now they're just short pieces all written different, different times of my life. So who knows, maybe one day it'll be one piece of writing. <laughs>
0: Okay, and I hope we'll be hearing one piece of your writing today as we're doing our stories. Uh, Nancy is going to be sharing uh, a story with us today, and uh, we, we heard about her pet business, and some people were inspired by listening to that, that they could uh, find something that they love to do and turn it into a business. So right now, we'll hear our first story from Nancy. Oh, thank you.
3: Yeah, choose the challenge. What a, what a, that was a fabulous uh, topic. I found it quite intriguing. So one of the, the story I'd like to share was, as we all know, <laughs> 2020 was certainly the year of vision, and it brought lots of challenges for each and every one of us, Like not, just not locally, but, you know, worldwide, globally. And 2021, you know, it has started a very similar way with a lot of positive movement forward. And so I decided to challenge myself in a new way for the start of the year, and I decided to take some action based on some awareness that I was observing in my life, and it had to do with how my body was functioning. And I kept deeming it that I was being fumbly. I just felt like I was fumbling often, all the time. I was noticing that I was dropping things. I was having a difficult time lifting things, opening things. I was observing how many times, (laughs) sometimes moment to moment, anybody would listen or anybody was in the area. It's like, what did I do with my glasses? Where are my glasses? And it had been really frustrating for me, um, you know, going from having 2020, the perfect vision for most of my life, well, after the last couple of years, having to wear glasses to see things up close, whether it was a computer you know, turning the laundry machine on, um, phone numbers in my phone, uh, emails, documents I'm typing, you know, the labels on spice jars, recipes if I'm cooking, and just without my glasses, I just wasn't able to see anything, and I also started to notice I had a lot of discomfort in my hands and my fingers, my right hand, middle finger, my left uh, thumb, left wrist, and and sometimes in my shoulders and and I was just I had these moments where I would feel tired for what seemed like no apparent reason and I thought well it wasn't making a lot of sense to me because I I exercise you know six days a week I, I do a boot camp every morning I hike a few times a week I walk every day I do Pilates a few times a week and and I had my blood work checked out I thought well maybe I'm running low on something, cause I you know I don't tend to eat meat and Anyway, that all came back flying colors, and I thought, okay, it's still not making any sense to me. And I had been introduced to watch a uh, introduction to uh, personal development, overall personal development program that somebody was introducing. And I wasn't really interested in doing the, the entire program, but I did listen into to the invitation. And what caught my attention out of it was uh, the nutrition part of it. nutrition part of it and so the facilitator had posted a website which i checked out and i'd heard a little bit about um you know sugar in terms of like brain fog sort of thing and i thought okay well i you know i'm a pretty healthy eater and now i don't necessarily didn't necessarily have the best eating habits however the food that i eat is healthy And so I thought, okay, well, maybe it's something to do with the brain fog. So I took this 30-day challenge that they had, and the idea was to eliminate dairy, grains, and sugars. And I don't, like I say, have a lot of sugar in my diet to start with. But then I started to realize and, and research, there's a lot of hidden sugars in things. So I started wondering, well, if I eliminated these things, would I start feeling better? Would I have more strength? Would my strength come back? Would I have more clarity? Would I? Would things just be easier? Uh, you know, I just was really, really curious that maybe the sugar that I wasn't aware of was affecting my body more than I had realized. And so for the first couple of weeks, the first couple of weeks was definitely the toughest because I, I was really mindfully aware of my thoughts around when I wanted to eat, what I wanted to eat. I was noticing what I was eating and I started to realize how much of a habit it was. And one of the things that I was to eliminate was dairy. Well, I'm really big on cheddar cheese in particular. I could eat cheese all day long. (laughs) But the problem was I was eating cheese all day long with uh, peanut butter and jam and bagels and, and And not having any sense of portion control. And so some of the habits I had were to, you know, maybe I decided to, to make a bagel for breakfast. So I would, you know, put the bagel in the toaster. But while I was waiting for the toaster to pop, I was having a mouthful of peanut butter and not even considering that, you know, how many calories were in that mouthful of peanut butter never even occurred to me, I didn't even know how many calories in a chunk of cheese. So I started really paying attention to what I was eating, why I was eating, what was triggering my need to eat, and and one of the things that I noticed in particular was just the habit of, of seeking that satisfaction. Because everything that we do, regardless of what it is, we're always seeking to feel good. It just doesn't matter what it is. That That's the bottom line. Everything that, that drives our passion in whatever sense it is and, and completes that fulfillment for us in a moment is driven by the desire to feel good. And what I started to notice as well is... I have uh, when I would be at my daughter's home to spend time with them in the capacity of being their mom, but also in the capacity of being their care provider to provide their physical and personal care. And once a week, I, I sleep overnight and I do what we consider the night shift. So I'm I'm staffing for them. But as well as being mom, and we have a wonderful evenings. We sit and watch movies. And what I became aware of is often. The thinking I had about wanting to have something to eat and the time of when I was wanting to have something to eat. And then I went a little bit deeper. Well, Why was I wanting to have something to eat? And I figured out it was a coping mechanism. It was a distraction. It was a deflection. It was kind of a fight or flight mechanism that was kicking in to build me up to the events or the tasks that I would have to do to provide the care for the girls. So they needed to be lifted or transferred or changed or whatever it was. So whatever was going on in the back of my mind, in terms of any feeling like it was going to be overwhelming, it was going to be demanding, maybe a sense of frustration, a sense of it was a nuisance or it was inconvenient or any sort of, you know, unassociated, like I say, really unconscious thinking about any, perhaps, resentment or anger, frustration, whatever it was, the activity of making myself something to eat wouldn't buy me time, it was a distraction, it was a deflection, and it was attempting to fill me up in a different way. And like I said, so the first two weeks were really the most difficult, but I became so aware of, oh, this is my habit. I want to get up and I want to go and make something to eat. And then I would stop. Well, what is the next thing I ought to be doing? And why is it that I'm thinking about food? We'd be sitting and watching a movie and having a wonderful time. And we had already had dinner and I wasn't hungry at all, but I could, I would, I was the observer. I watched my thoughts. Oh, interesting, Nancy. You're thinking about making something to eat. Oh, interesting, Nancy. You're already feeling and having that sensation of the food and the taste in your mouth, and you're feeling good, but what is it that's triggering that thought? So I very purposely started changing those thoughts and would replace them with something else, and I would stop doing those things. I would take a breath. I would become aware of my thoughts. I would change it into something more positive, something affirming. I wouldn't uh, follow through with, with those habits. And I found during the process of the whole thing, because I, through my boot camp, they offer some nutritional advice, and and I started finding replacements, because I'm vegetarian for the most part anyway, but I didn't realize that there were replacements for things like cheese, plant-based replacements. So I... I started doing eating that instead, paying attention to how many calories were in it. I started really reading labels and looking for hidden sugars. I didn't buy anything for over 30 days that had any additional sugar in it whatsoever. But what I figured out is eating that replacement plant-based cheese product gave me that same gratification, that same oral gratification. And I ate a lot less of it. And it was really, really a powerful thing for me just to become so aware of what my thoughts were, what they were associated with. And I started doing some forgiveness work even deeper and deeper than I had before. Once I started bringing up all these unconscious thoughts and beliefs that were driving a lot of my behavior and habits. And I really recognized the habits of them all. And... And I had had times in the past where, you know, I had not eaten bread for, say, a month and hadn't noticed any changes. So for me, it, it was a really, really a powerful experience. And and so people around me kept asking, well, you know, what are you going to do at the end of the 30 days? Are you going to go back to the things that you were eating before? And so the program suggested just, to, you know, transition, just incorporate things a little bit at a time a day or so and then pay really close attention Of which I did I haven't gone back to eating bagels I haven't gone back to eating cheese and I and I've been very very deliberate noticing okay I just need you know a half a teaspoon of jam that doesn't have sugar in it as opposed to you know a chunk of it or whatever and and I didn't go back to eating a lot of those things. And what was interesting too is that my my former husband had said to me the same. Well, what are you going to do? And at the end of the whole thing, we like we should celebrate, and I'm going to offer you some pecan pie because you knows pecan pie is one of my favorite favorite things. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Anyways, we got to the end of the the 30 days, and he bought a half of a pecan pie. I cut a little quarter piece of it. I shared the little quarter piece with him, had the taste of it. And for me, it was kind of like Chinese food. You know, you eat Chinese food. It feels so good. It tastes so good. You know, you eat it and then you feel full. And then a half an hour later, you're like, oh, my goodness. You know, I want to have that experience again. I'm going to fill myself up. And and with even the half of the pecan pie, it's kind of like, you know, I just ate it. I don't need any more. But then the, the brain starts thinking, well, you know, if you just ate the whole thing now, it'd be over with and you wouldn't go back to it. <laughs> I was like, okay, Nancy, I, I've done this for 30 days. I can I can hang in there a little bit longer. So I put the rest of the pie in the freezer. It's still in the freezer. I went into another 10 days. So I did the 40 days. And, and now my challenge to myself To stay in that space of being just really mindfully aware of why I was eating, what I was eating, when I was eating, how I was eating, is now developed into my practice. And instead of, which I was typically doing before, I've never had a lot of rituals or I've never really considered nutrition for myself as of making it precious or making it cherished or really honoring it. It's more been a task or more of a, you know, a have to or a hassle more than a privilege and an honor. And so my lazy habits were to just, you know, make this bagel stand at the counter, eat it over a cutting board and have my cup of tea. And, and now I'm, you know, taking the time to prepare the foods, the vegetables, even though I was eating vegetables before too, I wasn't spending time being really mindful, appreciative, honoring myself, and taking that time to really sit and enjoy the experience and being really present in the moment to the experience. So now, instead of just being lazy and and throwing the toaster, you know, the bagel in the toaster and standing at the counter and having my cup of tea and putting the cutting board away, now I'm... I've changed that. I'm cooking with present-minded focus on the vegetables, with the spices, putting it on a plate, sitting down, saying my gratitudes, taking a breath, eating slowly, enjoying it, which is the effort I would make if I'm cooking for my children and my family or my friends. But when I'm home alone I'm cooking for myself, it's not something that I had had as a habit. So that has been my challenge to myself coming into this new year. And I'm really grateful for the, I'm really grateful that I've done that. And I'm really grateful to recognize, like I say, that that the challenge is to continue to build the practice and it's becoming
0: a part of of me. And that's my story. Oh, that's a wonderful story, a wonderful challenge to change and create a new practice. Uh, Does anyone have any comments or questions? Uh, Um, I,
5: I, I recognize a lot of the things that you were talking about, Nancy, and um, especially in terms of the, that, that sugar stuff, um, Mm -hmm. because it's so addictive, uh, sugar. And so I, I have been doing the same thing, primarily because of, of, of concern around my, my blood sugar. And so looking at all of the ingredients and trying to find those hidden ingredients. It's not all that easy. Um, and there are so many of them. So good for you. Um, looking for those and taking the time to look for those and focusing on doing something like that is, is, is really, I think good and helpful and it's good for us, good for our health, but it's also like you said, it's also a good practice. Um to be more aware of what we eat because I tend to be the same thing, right? Except my doctor introduced me to interim fasting, so or intermittent fasting. But um but the whole thing around sugar is is so critical. Um and I remember seeing a TV show not well a while ago now by a guy that does documentaries and it's on the knowledge network and he was doing a little bit of a history of the competition that happened back some years ago between sugar and fat and the fat producers won out and that's why we see so many so many products that say low fat half fat no fat because the fat producers won the competition and the sugar didn't whoever was advocating for the sugar they lost and so we are now bombarded by lots of stuff about how fat, but nothing about the, 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 nothing about the issues around sugar. And I, yeah,
2: think, and you know what, Chris, a lot of that low fat stuff is just so loaded with sugar. It's disgusting.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There are carbohydrates and people don't associate that the carbohydrates are become sugar. To, to in sugar. Your blood. And, yeah. Uh, they'll yeah. say.
3: Oh, it's very confusing. There's so much information in it. And, and Chris, I still so appreciate what you said. It's sorry. just like, it's so much work. You know what I mean? Like, it, and, and even, I always kind of laugh about, when you become aware of things, how much work it is to be in a state of awareness. You know? It's just like you, and... and yeah, like the effort it takes and, and to understand it. And, and then we all have habits of things, you know, even let's say you grew up doing certain things. You know, I grew up, we ate peanut butter and jam on toast. It's like a favorite thing. I've, <laughs> yeah, you see, for butter. me, for me, I find bro. that
2: absolutely gross <laughs> yes. because I grew up in the UK. <laughs> Our peanut butter did not have sugar in and we used to have just peanut butter by itself, perhaps with a little sprinkle of salt.
0: Well, what I like now is buying that one that says just the peanuts and it has no sugar and the nuts are so sweet. There's a natural sweetness in the nuts. And it's so good.
2: Yeah. Yeah, So, Nancy, did you have problems trying to find food that was sugar free? No, I didn't necessarily have problems with it,
3: but it did take, like I'd say, a, a lot of a lot of work to just read the label constantly and. And, and then I was becoming really curious about, again, like, you know, what are some of the, the foods I've just eaten just out of habit for so long? And and I tend to, because I love fresh vegetables, always have, and but I go in these, these spits and spurts, you know, I can go to the grocery store and, and, you know, load up on all these fresh vegetables and then have them in the fridge, and, and then I'll get home and, well, for the next week, I have no interest in eating, so it just... <laughs> So, I, you know, so I get bored or restless and then I feel back because I'm wasting it. And other times I, so even building that habit of, mm. okay, you need, and that's where just eating a bagel, say on the run, so to speak, just build an activity. It's still, mm-hmm. you know, I need to do something. I need to be eating something, but it's a whole lot different to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to eat, you know, sweet potatoes for breakfast or whatever, but then cooking them. Because even that's a big production, too. Like, it's mm-hmm. just so much faster it is to throw something in the toaster than it is to, you know, peel and cut and, and mm-hmm. cook. And uh, so, no, it, it just was, it's just a lot of work. To, and, then, and then to be in the grocery store during COVID, flipping labels and stuff around, because I, I don't want to be in the store very much, you know. So I mm-hmm. was very intentional how much time I'm going to spend, what I'm looking for, and just broke it down into, you know, short little visits to the store to do all of that.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, just uh, the reason I made that comment is that we not the last couple of years, obviously, but we used to go down to Arizona for the winter, and I would have a hard time finding stuff that didn't have ingredients in I didn't want. Mm. So, you know, the high fructose corn syrup in the bread, you know, I'm there reading bread labels and peanut butter without too much sugar in and it just all tasted so sickly sweet. And then you go to a buffet and they have sweet potatoes with marshmallows on. I mean, who wants marshmallows on sweet potatoes, right? And just, yeah, this people do. They don't realize how sweet their food is until they don't have that sugar, I don't think
3: well like chris said all the the marketing and because if you think about it like bc sugar i mean if you follow their marketing they sugar is is good for you sugar there's, there's you know there's it's a it's a positive thing right so mm-hmm. it's, um, and we are like you say we're being bombarded so much with so and the culture is different you know in the us you know they, they begin to buffets and it is, but there's huge issues with you know obesity and and then it all connects into the pharmaceuticals and you know what I mean it, it, it's mm-hmm. just all connected just feel good feel good feel good and they're not really paying a lot of attention to the nutrition aspect of it so
1: lots lots of habits for sure mm-hmm. yeah Let's that's say, a uh, I problem I can, here.
0: well go ahead <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: okay no I was going to say I can relate to what you were saying about Arizona we used to go to Florida And it was the same thing. And, you know, I've had neighbors say to me, I don't really like sweet things, except, of course, in the morning. (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) And the other thing that that I could relate to, uh, Nancy, was the, the mindfulness about what you're eating. I have been trying over the past few years to do a mindfulness meditation in the morning. And that has really helped me to be aware of what I'm eating, of what I'm doing. I am not trying to go sugar-free. I try to be attentive to how much sugar and be, you know to be careful about things. Um, I have cancer. Uh, but I've had a form of cancer over the past few years. And I am very aware that sugar is the very worst thing I can have so i am very careful about sugar but uh that was very 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 interesting i enjoyed that what you said
2: oh, thank you so much so what differences difference. have you noticed in your health well you mean because of the cancer uh no nancy for nancy question for nancy since you went on the, oh, the eating oh, challenge it,
3: well you know it, it's funny <laughs> it's funny too because um what I did notice is um, I started. I didn't go back to bread or um, bagels or anything, or cheese, but I did introduce some. Um, um, it's a flat bread, a sunflower organic bread that I've had before, and I did notice that my my finger, my right finger, started to act up a little bit again. Mm. And so, really interesting, just the just bringing something in. And, and taking it out. And mm-hmm. I and I, didn't, I didn't realize that eggs aren't dairy. I just always assumed, and I guess most people assume they're in mm-hmm. the dairy department. I We most of us think that they're... So I was happy about that. And I you know, eat them occasionally. But I did notice, like I say, that... And it was interesting to know, it's like, oh, gee, my hand hasn't hurt for a while. How nice is that? But then when I did start introducing that, that flatbread, whatever it's called... And like I say, it just made the sunflower seed that my finger got a little bit more sensitive. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily, so I think what I figured out from it, that it wasn't a brain fog in in terms of my definition of it based on sugars and that. And still staying away from them and being very aware of that. But I'm also always curious too about my thoughts because I'm a big believer in my thoughts manifest into my body you know what's going on and but I'm really happy that I went through that challenge and and it's interesting because our bodies just get used to things so when we don't have it any longer you know there's no interest to go back to it you know so I don't mm-hmm. I haven't had a thing of thinking hey, I'd really love to go back to this and even the cheese like I said it, I was just like I, I didn't even realize how much cheese I was eating and I didn't think I'd be Okay, without eating it, you know, and and it's even that psychological thing, even just a little chunk of cheese, that that texture, the sensation, whatever it is, and and then I'm able to say, okay, I would just like one little piece of cheese, and then that's it, and I might not have it for another week, mm-hmm. but just breaking that habit of things, and like I say, making for me, it was making that connection. What was the trigger? I was trying to either create an activity. I was either trying to avoid something, deflect something, absorb something, whatever it was, and just stay in that space of, uh, oh, okay, what is this about? And and just watching my thoughts and continuing on with that. So it, it, for me, it's been really powerful.
0: Yeah, I had a similar experience with eliminating sugar, but I'm really happy that you identified with TV. What is the thing that's happening that's causing the craving? Because with uh, being shut in (laughs) or limited activities, uh, I would have been doing a lot more writing and speaking, but this room connects to the kitchen. (laughs) I mean, it's just a (laughs) short walk to the kitchen. And I have gone in for a pen or I've gone in for, you know, to take a, a walk out to the back porch, and I always come back with something in my hand. So I've started noting the times that I went in for a colored pen or I went in to give the cat something, and I also got a little pinch of this or a little pinch of that for myself. And with the sugar, uh, you know, raising my children, For economy's sake, a lot of times I bought store brand labels. I also bought it because in working in public health and working in nutrition, we tell people the grocery stores and manufacturers, they produce pretty much all of the same, you know, they they have vats, they make peanut butter, and some they put more sugar in, some they put this, some they put that. But under the store's brand, often it's the one that has, that may be more nutritious. Well, I've noticed the one that's called the yellow label. Mm -hmm. No label. And it says we have everything except 10 things that are not good for you. And I've been finding that that peanut butter has no sugar, the calories of 90 Mm. tablespoons or 60 tablespoons compared with you know, some of the other brands that have got multicolored labels <laughs> and say that your mother, choosy mothers would give you that. <laughs> uh-huh. It has a lot of sugar and it's got some other stuff, stabilizers. You know, they say for a label, if something has more than five ingredients, then you probably don't want to have it because the other things have got three syllables, polyunsaturated molybdenatum or <laughs> whatever. So I think it's really good. That you've increased your consciousness about labels, and for other people, I really have been happy with um, the taste of some of the things that are under the the, the no, you know, the PC brand or no label. Uh, yellow label products because they don't have a lot of added things. Uh, consciousness, but each of you have talked about consciousness. We have one person that was very active, Emily, uh, on our podcast. She's creating a course now. And she's been off for a few weeks, but she talked about mindfulness. She's also a 10-year cancer survivor and has linked the changes that she made in her diet with having things that don't have an added color or added other additives with helping to keep her been going into to uh, remission. So thank you for sharing that story, and thank you for identifying that process. I should think about it. Sometimes I will be, I've got something to write, but I'll just go get a little something. <laughs> and I have a little space back here for cups, and a little space back here for this and that. And then I'll think, oh, well, that was good. Maybe I'll just have a little bit more. So I'm, I think I will do that, you know, keep a journal of all those times that I was perfectly fine but this little suggestion came to mind. Oh, it would be good to have a little bit of jam with that, or it would be good to have a little bit of meat with that. If I have just plain, you know, whatever. So, thank you for sharing that story and information. Oh, thank you, uh, Chris. Uh, Chris, Chris, your 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 voicemail is full. <laughs> I you you uh, unmute.
5: Yes,
1: Chris.
0: Oh, yeah, your my, voicemail is
5: full. My 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 voicemail is full because that you're you're probably phoning my landline, oh. and I'm not at home. Okay. Because I've been since December. I've been between the hospital, between um, VGH and now Holy Family. So I don't have access to my answering machine. So I can't delete them.
0: So I see. Well, maybe email want, me your phone so that I can. I phone. will the yeah. right number.
5: <laughs> yeah, I do have a cell phone and I have it with me, but I don't have access to my landline so and I know it's full. Many people have told me it's full.
0: <laughs> Cuz I was calling to see if you wanted to share your story this week or next week with our anniversary. Chris has a cliffhanger story from the is the new publication that Quirky has. Do you want to mention a bit about the the publication? So um,
5: I'm part of Quirky, which is a queer imaging and writing collective for elders. And for we've been around now through, I think for I'm not sure if this 14th year or 15th year. And for the last number of years, we've put together um, uh, bi- collective, we've collected writings from different, from different ones of us, and we've done uh, a self-published uh, we've done a self-published book with all of those and the last one that we did was put together is called together we stand um uh I think it's queer senior speak speak out um and I have a piece in that I have a piece here I don't think it's the I don't oh maybe it is the same one um I have a piece here that I that I have ready that I can read um I think it might actually be the same one so if you if you want I can read that yes okay so my my challenge or what I'm reading about is extreme is very different from what you shared Nancy um, oops I just have to go back to I have to find it now here so my my story takes place um, a good number of years ago now Um, in 19, actually 1992. And it's a story about, well, I've got a bunch of ones here, but this is a story um, that's part of the challenge that my partner and I um, uh, found it. My partner and I um, were engaged in with respect to Uh, legislation, immigration legislation. So um, it's called Walking in History. Vancouver's award-winning architect, Arthur Erickson, is responsible for the law courts, a striking building in the centre of downtown Vancouver. Bridget and I enter it. I glance around and see a preponderance of steel, glass, and concrete. The colour of the carpet underfoot is as deep as burgundy wine, Someone greets us at the entrance. Together we wait at the back of the hall. Several hundred people face the platform rising above the floor. Someone is speaking to the crowd. Sven Robinson, Canada's first openly gay man elected to parliament is at the microphone. The crowd listens attentively. I can feel the crackling of electricity running around the room. Bridget and I move closer together waiting. Chris Morrissey and Bridget Cole have just arrived from the border. After a long struggle with Canada immigration, they have won the right to stay together in Canada. Today we are welcoming two community heroes. Let's welcome Chris Morrissey and Bridget Cole. Thunderous applause rises up from the now darkened sky above the skylights. Everything is a blur. I put my hands up to my face. My glasses are still there. We are guided to the steps. As we reach the top step, I hear Sven saying, should have known better than to take on two nuns." The crowd roars again. I can't believe it. Oh, God, we are being outed again, and in such a public forum. We've been so publicly lesbian during our immigration journey. Coming out as a lesbian so far has taken me many years. Now, with one wave of the wand in Sven's hand, our new old secret is out, just when I was feeling as if I had arrived home. We approach the stage and are greeted by Sven and Barbara Finley, the co-chair. We had agreed to go to the border in the morning. Bridget would become a permanent resident of Canada, and we would drive directly to the conference at the law courts. I don't know about you, I said to Bridget the day before this was about to happen, but I'm feeling very nervous. What if immigration finds out what we are going to do? Do you think they could stop your becoming a permanent resident? I never thought about that, Bridget replied. What do you think we should do? I know. We, I know. Let's go to the border in the morning and then go to the conference. What if we go the day before? Nobody needs to know. I like that. Let's do it. And we did. So it wasn't the same piece that I had read from the book. It's a different one.
0: No, that is good because it builds us up for next week getting to the other, uh, the trip, the border, <laughs> the West trip. Uh, a technique that they used <laughs> when they were uh, launching the book uh, a couple of weeks ago was people gave their story and they got you right to the point of an action. And then they said, and to find out what happens, you can get the book at. <laughs> so I thought it was, uh, it was very clever. Uh, does anyone have any questions or comments for Chris?
2: I'm just wondering, uh, Chris, what were the specifics of the legislation changes?
5: Um, so, uh, when we began this whole journey, uh, the immigration legislation was that um, heterosexual married married spouses could sponsor a married spouse and dependent children, and that that was they were the only. It was a very specific nuclear family. Mm. Um, So Bridget and I, uh, I filed a suit in federal court alleging discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and family class. And eventually the legislation changed. Um, The story I just read was 1992. The legislation, we worked, and eventually the legislation was changed in, in 2002. So it took us 10 years. Um, and now the legislation reads that um, uh, it that reads um, m- m- cu- married couples common law couples and conjugal partners uh, can uh, are now Canadians who are in that type of relationship can now sponsor their their partner or their spouse yeah mm-hmm. So that was the change that, that we worked for. It's interesting because initially it was only legally married uh, heterosexual couples that could mm-hmm. sponsor a spouse. They Even heterosexual common law couples were not able to be sponsored. Mm-hmm. So in the work that we did, uh, it also expanded the rights of heterosexual people. Because I remember once um, work, helping a woman who was doing an immigration application, and she said, I, you know, I didn't want to get married, but the only way that I could sponsor him was if we were married, and so we got married. And then sometime later I found out that that really did not work for their relationship.
3: Mm.
5: So the legislation forced them to get married uh, in, in, in in a situation when they really didn't want to. Um so our, chal- our challenge was that the legislation, the immigration legislation, needed to change um, to recognize different types of relationships.
0: Chris, I was looking at some of the requirements for people who want to sponsor someone. It seems like there's also an amount of money that you have to pay. So, in order to sponsor a a, a spouse.
5: Um, no, um, you you actually have to demonstrate that you can support the person that you're that you're sponsoring for three years. Um, so it's more a question of providing that providing that um, uh, in enough information so that the the immigration officer is. Uh, is convinced that you will in fact be able to support that person in other words the person will not go on welfare I mean that's the bottom line now we've argued and and I've been involved because I was involved in working with women in transition houses before we've argued that in abusive relationships that requirement needs to be needs to be needs to be left aside mm. so that a, a woman for example, does not have to stay in an abusive relationship in order to maintain her immigration status. And so that we did manage to, that we did manage to uh, has happened a number of times. Um, So there's a regular application fee um, that everybody has to pay for the application. Um, Mm, that I think at the I think it's still five hundred and fifty dollars to actually make the application. I think it's actually
0: closer to fourteen hundred because I have some other friends who, in coming from the states, and, and I don't know whether it's just too many people started coming when when there was a certain person in charge. But uh, the amount that I've seen on some paperwork was fourteen hundred dollars that the person had to to pay? Well, there's different amounts that you pay
5: for different categories.
0: Mm.
5: So different kinds of immigration required have different fees. But um, unless, uh, I mean, uh, I, I haven't looked recently, but I know that when I until recently it was only $550 to sponsor a partner or a spouse. That was the application fee. And then there is something called a right of landing fee, and that is 400 That was four hundred and seventy-five. So there are those two fees uh, combined. That brings that certainly makes it makes it more, but sort of around about thousand dollars between those two. And then of course you have to have a medical that you have to usually pay for. You have to have police checks that you have to pay for. So. You know, it, it does add up for sure. Um, it's not. It's not a cheap. It's not a cheap venture for sure.
0: Right. I think at another point we're going to discuss that. Or uh, within the 411 center is a referral source for people dealing with uh, immigration, financial, and other matters. But one of the the things that's happening with some seniors, if they were sponsored uh, to help care for children in a family and now the children are out of school and staying with their parents. There's some people that have been just kind of left in a loop or in, at risk of having to uh, go back to their country of origin because they don't have the continued sponsorship by their family as a, you know, an elder well, caregiver.
5: No, I, I think that's a, a, a different issue um, in the sense that there is a category for sponsoring parents and grandparents and that is a permanent immigration once if a person is accepted as a sponsored a parent or grandparent their status is permanent however because that process takes such a long time the government introduced something something Called um, um, a long, something that's a longer-term visitors permit, and so mm-hmm. someone can apply for that, and they get the, they get a visitors permit for six months. Um, so um, if a person has been sponsored, they're sponsored, and if it, if at some point the parents no longer want them to care for the kids, they're still they're still permanent residents of Canada. The responsibility to support them depending on the, for, for parents and grandparents, I think the process, I think the length of time for sponsorship is 10 years. So they're not, the problem is more financial. If, if they're no longer caring for their, the grandchildren, and if the, the, the adult children are no longer supporting them, then they're in a very difficult situation financially, the, the older, the older adults. Because that can easily happen, right? Um,
0: yes, yes yeah. it's happening to a few people. Yes. So, th- yeah, that is. Uh, thank you for sharing that story. You have uh, <laughs> with that within the easing, <laughs> there are a lot of other interesting stories. And next week, uh, we are celebrating our fiftieth episode. And we began having these Zoom episodes when the centers were shut down almost uh, about the same time last year. Uh, we started recruiting mm. people. We had 44 people that were recruited that wanted to do podcasting, recruited people from four different uh, senior centers and four or five writers organizations such as um, yeah, Poetic Justice, <laughs> where I met Leslie through. And so uh the center shut down and we began experimenting adela rope and i had just tested we heard about uh zoom and we tested it and people came on and somebody from one of the uh wire services interviewed people and there were four or five people that said the podcast really helped deal with loneliness it helped people to still uh, meet new friends meet new people and so um we were allowed to go back on with the podcast program, making it Zoom. So Leslie calls them Zoomcasts in our our, our descriptions because it is. Different from a lot of the podcasts from seniors. We're the only one that actually has seniors who bring forth a story. It's not somebody has a presentation to tell you about preserving your plants or how to do crafts or how to do your nails. We actually have a range of topics that we've covered. You know, we've talked about domestic abuse. We've talked about uh, uh Rent control, we've had people on dealing with and talking about uh, what rights do people have in the senior facilities? Why are so many people dying? And why is it that people in the the the, uh, privately owned, seem to be under a less standard of care than people that are under the ones managed by the state. We've had government representatives on. Last week, we had the Speaker of the House for BC uh, in the tribute that we gave to Shannon Gill. And so we've had a variety of things that we're going to be celebrating. And we're also seeding ideas from people around the next level the levels that we have had have kind of gone with funding uh, zones. So this project initially was uh, started as a class, a writing class at uh, 411 Center. Then that writing class did uh, four episodes of podcast, and those were presented for a grant that the uh, city of Vancouver had and did in uh, match with match funds by the 411 Center. Well, that funding has run out. So we've been since the end of the year, beginning of this year sponsored by the 411 center and part of the belief in senior led we anyone who's in the podcast has had a right to say i have a story idea we also generated a list of topics that people wanted us to cover so a hundred percent of those topics we've covered so now we're going into subtopics or <laughs> variations of topics such as this one on immigration. So next week we're going to have a celebration of our 50 episodes, uh stories, uh, maybe not only Chris's story, but maybe a couple of other people who are part of the launch of Quirky Easing will be doing stories. Uh, I'm going to do a few uh, poetic stories because it's also the uh, the lead in a bridge to poetry month. And Uh, we're going to go with a connection to YouTube in what I'm calling instead of 2.0. You know, everybody says first there was Windows 1.0 and then there was 2.0. We're going from 2.0 to 5.0. So sometimes we will be using video. There's ways that Zoom is rolling out new things where you can integrate uh, other things to engage people. So Zoom is a format since people can join through their telephones, people can join through uh, Facebook and people can join Maybe not be present where they see each other like we do, but they can uh, put comments in. So we'll be doing more things, um, even going to a location. We have some members uh, with the 411 Center and maybe organizations that each of you belong to where uh, there's an artist who has their work all around the walls at the 411 Center. So it's possible to do an art show. So one point we'll have someone not only there, but maybe at our art gallery. Leslie mentioned how some of the art galleries have got either limited number of people that can come in. Uh, we will we're going to experiment with having somebody have their laptop at a particular place and showing things that we can talk about. So any ideas or things that you have put them on the books, you can email it to me. Uh, you can discuss them next week. So I look forward to seeing everyone next week. We're going to have music from Joel stories from uh, people a possibly even a, a com- comedian doing a joke. Lots of things to celebrate our 50th episode as we move toward turning the table into our new, brand new frontier <laughs> with Powered by Age. So goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, everyone.